Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm speaking with Families in Global Transitions President Don Bryan. Families in Global Transition is a forum for globally mobile individuals, families, and those working with them. They promote cross-sector connections for sharing research and developing best practices that support the growth, success, and well-being of people crossing cultures around the world. Welcome, Don. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks. It's great to be here, Michelle. Don, can you tell us why FIGT was established and when? The short answer is that it was started by a woman who saw a need and she responded. And that woman is the amazing Ruth Van Rieken. And she's written a couple of books that people may have heard of. And she was also the co-author with David Pollack for Third Culture Kids Growing Up Among Worlds. And it was about 1997, I think, right before the third culture kid book was published that she got three of her friends together around her kitchen table. And they were sharing the needs of their own and other families who were crossing countries and cultures. And they really started thinking about this idea of birthing FIGT. That's how it really happened. It was because they felt their own needs. They saw that other people had these needs too. And so they decided to do something about it. And so they said, well, this is a crazy idea. It's kind of wild, but why don't we bring people together? And it was the next year in 1998 that the first conference happened. It really was because four women saw a need that they had and that others likely had too. And so they decided to do something to meet the need. It was four women who were volunteering their time and efforts to help serve the needs of others. And we continue to operate like that today. We are 100% powered by volunteers who serve FIGT because they truly believe in our mission and purpose. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on donors, sponsors, and members for all of our operating costs. And Ruth Van Rieken remains a vital and beloved part of who we are and what we do. And it's her love for people around the world, her belief in their inherent value and desire to help them thrive in global transition that are actually our driving forces as well. It's this same love for people, the same belief in their value, and the same desire to help them thrive. That's why we exist. FIGT looks to be a great resource of information for all expats. Can you tell us what some of the key issues, problems, and concerns are for the greater community of expats? Yeah, I think from a corporate perspective, the biggest challenge is around supporting the family. So the idea of two careers and having to move and relocate both. The timing of moving with children, where are they at in their school age, whether that's starting school or changing schools at critical times or then when they move into university. And another concern for people with children is education that meets global requirements and consistency of education for the career expat that's moving every two to three years. I think another thing that comes up for corporates as they move people around is immigration for diverse family models. So whether that's same-sex couples, special needs children, those sorts of things. And I think things that are consistent for all is being away from family, especially as parents age, or as, as I mentioned, as children go to university, perhaps in a country in which they've never lived. Another big issue for families and expats living abroad, and whether that's individuals, couples, or families, is really this cross-cultural adjustment. So what are the differences? And how do you understand and how do you adjust, especially if you're a, a family or an individual that moves every two to three years, you're constantly trying to figure out 
a new culture and possibly a new language and how to make things happen in a new place. And that goes along with logistics, right? So you've got the differences in schools and curriculum and cost and, and languages and all of those things. And you have repatriation logistics and immigration logistics and where you can work and where you can't work and all of those things. And I think with that, because there's so much that you're juggling, there's just this difficulty to immerse in a local culture. And then there's this loneliness and lack of relationships and homesicknesses. So I think those things are some of the the challenges for expats who are moving abroad. And could you expand on it? In particular, can you speak more to the challenges of raising third culture kids? Yeah, and I just want to preface this with there are so many people who have PhDs in this area and have written books in in this, so I feel a little inadequate coming at it, but I can give you a high-level view, I think, of the challenges of TCKs and and then encourage you to do another podcast on that. Um, <laughs> but I think for for third culture kids, there is this rootlessness maybe and restlessness about living between cultures. There may be a sense of not fitting in either and this high mobility of moving around consistently, whether that's because they're living in a new place every two to three years, or whether it's just because they're living in a place that's not their parents, Mm -hmm. that's not their passport culture. It has impact on relationships and concepts of groundedness. It also gives them amazing skills. So I want to acknowledge that there's cost benefit, right? And with my own kids, we lived overseas for 25 years. My children were raised abroad. It definitely has more benefits than costs, I think. But maybe one of the bigger challenges for parents who are raising third culture kids is that they're having an experience overseas at the same time as parents are having an experience overseas. So there's parallel experiences, but they're quite different. So for third culture kids living overseas and everything that comes with that, it's really a formative experience. It shapes their understanding of normal life, their worldview, what's comfortable. And that often means that their comforts won't line up with their parents. And that might mean the language that they are most comfortable speaking in, the accent in which they speak in, the food that they prefer, or the dress style, or even the relational cultural style that they prefer. It also means that children attach emotions and and joy to places and customs that are really different to what their parents might have grown up with. And this is great until it, it becomes a source of either grief or conflict with the parents. Maybe it's because the kids don't share their parents' favorite foods or sports or pop culture. Or maybe it's when their child goes to high school. I'm gonna use a personal example here. Mm-hmm. and doesn't know the national anthem. So when we moved back from Ethiopia to the United States, our son was in high school, and I didn't realize that he didn't know the American national anthem until he went to a sporting event and actually didn't know any of the words and didn't know what he was supposed to do. And I think maybe the biggest thing you can do as a parent is acknowledge and process any grief that you might have, and also just really recognize that your kids have their own unique experiences, their own unique selves, and give them the freedom to have that and not expect them to to have the same love or affection for the kinds of things that you found meaningful when you were growing up. So that's one of the things I think is 
a challenge of raising third culture kids. But again, there's so much more that could be said about that. I feel like I've not done an adequate job. I think you did a great job. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And what are the differences between the various expat communities? For example, between Canadian expats versus Mexican expats? Well, there are definitely differences in the expat experience for a whole host of reasons. And the difference of experience could be shaped around differences in first languages or whether or not a person is expected to operate in a second or third language possibly for a majority of the day. It could be because of historical ties between country of origin and passport country and the host country. For example, Italians living in Ethiopia or relationships between Japan and South Korea or a whole host of others. could be because of differences in levels of organizational support or access to services. Some people have embassy support in their host country. Other people have consulates. Some people can attend international schools. Others have to attend local schools, all kinds of things. I ran a group for expat women in Ethiopia, and there were definitely differences in experiences between the Colombian to the Italian to the Nigerian to the South African to the Brit but there were also significant differences even when people came from the same passport country. So an American missionary who spoke fluent Amperic had a different experience to the humanitarian worker on their first overseas assignment. A white American military wife had a different experience in the country than a black US diplomat who was mistaken for being a local. So there are certainly differences between how people experience relocation and mobility based on their nationality. I don't wanna discount this, But at one level, and I can only speak from my personal experience, on the ground, we tended to gather around our common identity as expats. I would say that, and venture to guess that as an organization, FIGT sees the same thing, the Mm -hmm. commonalities versus the national differences or uniqueness. What issues do you see that are specific to the American expat community? That's a great question. I think we're definitely seeing an increase in the number of dual career families. I mentioned this before. It's more and more common to have two full-time working professionals who are moving. I think we're seeing more self-initiated moves and relocations rather than people being assigned. There's almost a sense of people putting their hand up and Mm -hmm. saying, hey, I want to do this, or even looking for jobs that will give them the opportunity to live internationally and work internationally. I think one of the other things that we're seeing with the American community is that people seem to be thinking less about resources and pay and having that be the driver and more about having the right experience. And that may be because in U.S. universities, there's more of a focus on study abroad and international experiences during the time when you're doing your undergraduate work. And so that's spurring a different kind of conversation as graduates enter the workforce. Mm -hmm. And it changes who's moving abroad and how they're thinking about things. I think there are some other things that we see with Americans, but maybe with all expats, tax challenges, immigration realities, duty of care, possibly, you know, Mm -hmm. especially in a critical situation like right now, how are companies and organizations making people feel like they have an adequate level of care? How are they being advised about decisions and safety and security. ACA often hears from members about managing special needs children when overseas. What kind of resources can expats find for this? What's available for families and children with special needs will vary quite dramatically from one country to the next. And I think if you know prior to departure that your child needs special accommodations or support, 
then it's critical, of course, to make sure that the resources your child needs are available in the country that you're going. Some families, actually, you won't know this until you're already in a host country, and then you discover that the host country may or may not have the support that you need. And sometimes families will be able to stay in a country for a time but need to relocate later, like if the school has the resources they need for a period of time or until a child reaches a stage where they may need more or different assistance. Some are able to be reassigned or relocate to different countries where they can find the help that they need. And then others, I think, have to return to their passport countries. I think a few things are crucial when you know your child has special needs, making sure that your child has a comprehensive evaluation to identify really what they're going to need for support so mm -hmm. that parents can find out what help is available prior to landing and then packing their bags. Having these multiple moves, especially if you find out later while you're already on the field that your child does have special needs, frequent transitions between schools can often make it hard for a child to get that kind of evaluation, especially if those specialists aren't available in the host country. So making sure that that happens is really crucial, as well as being candid with the schools in country about the need your child has, and then thoroughly researching the schools and services available before you commit to relocate. And I think there's some help available for sure. The international schools and host countries can be a tremendous resource. They're of course able to speak to the support that they have available at their school, but they're also able to guide and advise parents about the help that could be available at other schools in the country or the region. And then there are also some online expat support groups for families with special needs and also in-country support groups that can often be found. English language counseling services is another issue many ACA members need help with. Does FIGT see this problem as well? Yes, definitely. Counseling services are often urgent and critical and yet can be one of the things that are hardest to access in country for a number of reasons. Some of that's insurance coverage. Another reason is it's not available in the first language or with someone who understands you know, cultural nuances, which are important. There may simply not be professionals available in the country. I can speak from experience in Ethiopia. There were very few counseling professionals who were there, and that meant there was a very high demand on those who were present, which limited their availability to take on new clients. And some expats who were psychologists or counselors who were living in the country, but they actually weren't licensed to work in the country, which is another quite relevant issue is you may have people who are very capable to do this, but may not have the permission to work across borders. A few things have been very helpful in the last five to 10 years, and we've seen this growth within FIGT. The internet has opened up greater access to online counseling services. And for many, many people, this has been a great gift. There's also been people who saw the gap area here and they opened up counseling centers in certain hubs around the world and designed specifically to care for the mental health of expats. So there's a number of these that exist. And then I think also sending organizations, international schools, nonprofits have increased their internal capabilities so that they can better care for expat families and meet this critical need. And within FIGT even, We've seen the development of one of our affiliate groups, and it's an online affiliate, the FIGT Counseling and Coaching Affiliate. And it's in just the two years' time since it started, it's become one of FIGT's largest and most active affiliate groups. And they really look to be a platform of communicating with one another, sharing information that's relevant 
to the field of global counseling and coaching. And it's a great resource when counselors or coaches move from countries to country. You look at new jurisdictions and professional practices in one place to another. Also gives people a place to share professional education and even a place to peer supervise. What about expats who are managing life between two countries? For example, those who are managing elder care of parents in one country and their family in another. Yeah, this is a truly difficult and very common situation for many. I know in my own experience, I left the U.S. as a 23-year-old newlywed. I raised my children away from their cousins and their extended family, their grandparents. I was overseas when I got the call that my father had unexpectedly and very suddenly died. And I tried to bridge the distance then when my oldest children moved back to the U.S. by themselves for university and and then also tried to bridge the distance when my mother was moved into hospice. My experience is not unique to expats who live abroad. This is part of the normal, this constant trying to manage between responsibilities in one country and responsibilities in another. And so there's no easy answer. There's no one answer to this. And there's certainly no right way or wrong way for all expats to handle these challenges. I think the best thing is strong support networks on the ground, right? And Mm -hmm. in both places. So your friends in both places and siblings and extended family in the places where you're not to help care for those. Other important things to have are frequent flyer miles (laughs) that you can travel to and from one place. And also those online counseling services, very helpful during that time as you try and negotiate just the grief of not being able to be in one of the places. You can't be in two places at once. And so acknowledging just how very difficult that is for everyone involved. And of course, for us, when we went to Ethiopia, I was 23. The only way I really had to get in touch with my parents was either a handwritten letter that took two weeks or a fax that I could send between the hours of eight and five at an office if they had electricity and if they had phone line working. And now that's not the case. Now we have these wonderful things like FaceTime and WhatsApp and the internet that helps people stay connected. But the difficulty is real and it really does need to be grieved and acknowledged. Thank you for being so candid. ACA sees that there's a real changing demographic for expats. What about dual nationality couples? Yeah, I think certainly we're seeing that the demographics are changing. One way I recently saw this play out was during this recent pandemic that we've been experiencing. There are several families who are stuck between countries. There's one family that I know that they're living as expats in a country in Africa. The parents are each from a different passport country. The children don't have dual citizenship. And the family was given the choice by their organization to return to the passport country for COVID-19 to write it out. But that meant they were faced with a choice. They could return to their passport countries, but that would have meant splitting up the family. So they would have been each in their passport countries, but also that meant they didn't have a home there. Because it meant they would have been split up and then living in a passport country where they didn't have a home or homes, they decided to stay in Africa where they could be together and have their own place to call home. And I think that highlights for me this new dynamic that's happening is that there are several families in similar situations with one spouse, a passport holder of one country, and the other spouse with a passport from another country. This is probably common now where maybe it wasn't before. 
I can think of also a number of families who made the choice who were in this situation for the wife and the children to return to her passport country. But then with the borders closed due to COVID-19, it meant that they were going to be separated for quite some time. A spouse is left in another country. Embassies are operating on reduced staff, so it's difficult to get information. And sometimes the information given in one place is different to information at the border. So you have these families who are then separated for an ambiguous period of time. And I think couples and families who have different passport holders is increasingly common. And this can increase the complexity of movement, especially during a global pandemic when multiple borders are closed. What are some predictions for the next decade in regards to expat life? What is the difference between the traditional expat and the expat of the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we have a few things that we are expecting or anticipating for the next decade. And we will see if we're right in those projections or not. But I think we can see that the support that's needed for the non-traditional expat and their families. So this might be the executive from the Middle East or Africa who's relocated to the U.S. or the U.K. They're going to need support where maybe we're not seeing as much of that now. I think we will continue to see a need for support that's focused on the traditional expat, those who are globally mobile by choice, to those who may be globally mobile by force. So the refugee, the immigrant who is forced to immigrate and doesn't want to. I think we also might be coming up with some new terminology. We talked about third culture kid, Mm -hmm. and I think it's a super useful term. But I wonder if we will be moving to something that captures all of the nuances more comprehensively. And I think we will be seeing some merging of research that's being done on TCKs and immigrants. There's a lot of cross-sector research and there's best practice that would apply to and benefit both. I think we'll also see a decline of the traditional expats moving towards short-term global assignments rather than longer term as a cost reduction for organizations. And I think we'll see that more and more people will live their lives that has some element of globality. So even if they never leave their homes, right? There's crossing of cultures and intermingling with people who think and act and believe differently. And how do we leverage what we've learned from expat life to help people embrace and bridge differences that are really in their own backyard? The characteristics that globally mobile people gain from living abroad, I think will be more recognized and desired in the workplace. People who are multilingual, multicultural, and have seen many contexts around the world, these people who can bridge differences and have broad perspectives and have cross-cultural competency that brings understanding, I think the workplace is going to recognize that we need that more and more. And I think there'll be a greater degree of hand-raising. I want to move overseas, resulting in sort of non-traditional packages with a lower level of support. And I think outside networks will play a a vital role in aiding connectivity to support the expat. As expats change and evolve, how have the needs and resources for families living overseas evolved in the past few years? And do you have any predictions for the future? Another great question. We've seen there's an expanding support network, the internet and online services 
more and more things can be found out online, more things can be done online. We mentioned the, the coaching and the counseling. So that has just transformed resources for families. It's been a tremendous benefit that people have now. And I think there's also expanding research on global mobility and TCKs. The research is expanding, but also the topics and the subjects of research are expanding, as are the profiles of the researchers. We mentioned before that the TCK term has really broadened. Ruth likes to talk about the expansion of the tent, right? It's taking in all kinds of people where before maybe when TCK was used, it, there was a certain um, context in which it was used. I think that the, the term is now really broadened. And I think the demographics of who's considered globally mobile has changed substantially. There's humanitarian aid workers, diplomat, military, business assignee, missionary, educator, as well as refugees, seasonal migrants, immigrants, all kinds of things. That changes the needs that people have than the traditional expat. And it also means that as the needs change, the resources have to change. We've talked to you about the self-initiated cross-cultural moves and the company partners need for work availability. So we have a group of people within FIGT who talk about having a career in their suitcase. So there's even advising about how you take your business with you on the road as an expat. Can you tell us about your annual conference? We hold an annual conference to really cultivate and support and disseminate research and best practice that really apply to those who are working and living globally. And our goal is to bring together a whole group of people to foster learning and inspiration and connection and provoke conversations in this space that matter. The conference is usually three days and it has speakers and presenters talking on a whole host of important topics. This year's conference was meant to be bridging differences. We usually have between 150 and 200 attendees, and they are from a whole range of industries like corporate mobility and relocation, coaching, counseling, education, nonprofit, diplomatic, and military sectors. And we also have a fairly large authors cohort who share their work and advise aspiring authors, and they sell their books. And then we also have a number of attendees who come because actually they are the globally mobile and they're just looking for resources to better understand their own experiences. The conference has interestingly become known as the reunion of strangers. It's a place where people arrive and almost immediately feel like they're among family, like the people who get them because they share common experiences that are really formative. And this year would have been our 22nd conference. So this conference has been going on for over two decades. It was first located in North America, and then it moved to Europe, to Amsterdam and The Hague, and then it moved to Asia. And then our plan after Asia is to move the conference to another region of the world. We really try to make the conference globally mobile to accommodate our globally located attendees. The thing about the conference, which always amazes me, the thing about FIGT, which amazes me, is that we are 100% powered by volunteers. That includes our keynotes. Everyone who is part of FIGT, including carrying off this amazing conference that happens is because they truly believe in our mission and our purpose. 
it's because of these volunteers that we can make this annual conference and all the other activity that FIGT does happen. And I just have to ask, how is COVID-19 affecting FIGT and expats? What are you hearing and what resources are you providing families? I think the most obvious impact for us as an organization was the cancellation of our annual conference, which was supposed to be uh, held in Bangkok in March. We had a genuine loss for those of us. I mentioned our volunteers. So our board and our board committees really plan for a year for this conference. And that is, we are working board. That's what we're getting ready for. And so to have planned for almost a year to work that hard and then have to cancel it was a genuine loss. It was the right decision, of course, and we would have been forced to make that decision had we not made it before all the travel restrictions, but it was a genuine loss. I think other issues that we're seeing because of, of COVID-19, there's a heightened level of uncertainty. While everyone is experiencing that, regardless of whether they're expats or not, there are issues with pending relocations, people who are stuck in limbo, or they're stuck in country A when they want to be, or the job is in country B. There are families who are perhaps depending on where they were when the borders were closed and families who made last minute decisions to leave their host country because of health concerns. We have people all over who are stuck in limbo. I was just talking to a friend. She lives in a country in Africa and she now is watching over and taking care of someone else's son because his parents are stuck in another country and they can't cross borders. I was talking with one of our board people today and she was saying, well, my husband and I are in country A, the job is in country B, and the dogs are in country C, and they're just all stuck. So that heightened levels of uncertainty, ambiguity, and stuckness, I guess, if that's a word. And I think transitions is a big deal. As FIGT, we talk about this good goodbyes, right? So you say your goodbyes well, so you can start well. And right now, people aren't having a chance to say those good goodbyes. People are leaving rushed and just don't have the chance to experience saying goodbyes well, last minute moves to avoid being stuck when the borders close. And this is actually huge for, for all people. This is especially huge for globally mobile kids who may not be going back to the same school, to the same teacher, to the same country. So they're missing it even more. There's just a huge impact and loss on that, that sort of rush transition. And I think there's too early at the moment, but of course, mobility, there's clearly an impact on travel from people who are used to moving from one place to another. And I think for us as an organization who's run by volunteers, we as a community are really feeling and impacted by it because our people who we care about, our community of people who are, they're all affected by this and all working through these issues. In terms of resources, man, I've seen our, our team come together just so beautifully in the last two or three months. Once we decided to cancel the conference, we have really been intentional about bringing our community the help around COVID-19 that we've needed. And we have just an amazing team of people doing this. And I'm so proud of what they've done to create resources to support the community during this time. So as an organization, we've created this Coffee and Connect series which in April has talked about well-being during this time. So this is just a place where people come together in different parts of the world virtually, right, in their time zones, and they just talk. It's a place to help people 
be together uh, to build space and community for one another, but also a place where we can have a, a meaningful conversations. We've had some of these with psychologists and counselors who've come in and talked about coping, either as individuals or helping kids cope. There's one coming up. We talked about TCKs. There's one coming up with Megan Norton and Ruth Van Rieken talking about TCKs. It's going to be in the American time zone, so that will help for some of your listeners, I hope. We've also had some focus highlights this year. Most recently, we've had community in the time of coronavirus. This next month, we're having joy in uncertain times. And this means we're sharing all this amazing information that our members are producing. So we've got podcasts on thriving during coronavirus. We have other resources being created by international school teachers and school counselors, how to say goodbye when they didn't get a chance to, all of these beautiful resources that are out there. We also have affiliates who are having virtual events. And last weekend, our China affiliate had a sharing and caring time where they came together to share stories and provide support about living during COVID-19. So there's just some really amazing things that's happening. We have most of this listed for anyone who needs it on our Facebook, and you can find it on the website as well. How can our listeners learn more about FIGT? We would love for people to learn more about FIGT and be part of our community to find the support and the resources that they need for living overseas. Some good places to go would be our website, FIGT.org, our Facebook, Families in Global Transition, our Twitter, and we're also on LinkedIn. You can find us a number of ways, and we hope that your listeners out there do find us and they become part of this ever-expanding group of people who are living in global transition. Thanks, Dawn, for chatting today. I'll make sure to include links to your Facebook and your Twitter and your LinkedIn in our show notes. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcasts, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad Podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.